This interview and the entire Building a Story Brand podcast is brought to you by 5MinuteMarketingMakeover.com. Three five-minute videos that will revolutionize your marketing. If you're tired of looking at your website, wondering why browsers are not being converted to buyers, these three five-minute videos will help. Either spell it out or use the number, doesn't matter, 5MinuteMarketingMakeover.com. You can also text the word MAKEOVER to 72000. That's MAKEOVER to 72000, and I will send you those free videos. This episode is also brought to you by StoryBrand.com. If you want to attend a live workshop with your peers, with people who are trying to grow their business, just like you are, you can register at storybrand.com. Welcome to season two, episode four of the Building a Story Brand podcast. On the episode today, an interview with one of my heroes. I was nervous doing this interview. <laughs> I can't wait for you to hear it. It's Ken Blanchard. Yes. And also, JJ, you talked to a dairy farmer. I did, who's also <laughs> one of my heroes. <laughs> He's awesome. Yes. It's going to be at the end of the episode. You talked to a guy who names his cows. Yes. And here's the thing is I just realized we did not plan this, but the first book I read by Kenneth Blanchard was Who Moved My Cheese? <laughs> and then we talked to a guy who makes cheese. JJ, that was cheesy. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> I flew to San Diego for yes. this interview with yeah. Ken. My introduction to Ken Blanchard was I was 20 or 21, mm -hmm. had left home, Texas, driven across the country in a Volkswagen camping van, ran out of money in Portland, Oregon. <laughs> we sold the van. had enough As people to, do. As they do. And had to get a job within walking distance of this apartment. We had no furniture. We slept on the floor. <laughs> the only furniture we had was an old fake Christmas tree that we pulled out of a dumpster. And yeah. you call that furniture? Yeah, well, we, that's all we had. It even was a I, plant. Even I don't go that low. <laughs> <laughs> and the tree was my companion for a good yes. year. But anyway, I, I got a job at a radio shack. That uh -huh. was the first job I ever had in Portland. And the manager of this radio shack, I'll never forget him. His name was Roger. And day two, he hands me a book called The One Minute Manager. Yeah. And I read that book and he said, he basically handed it to me and said, this is how I'm going to manage you. And that was the first business book I'd ever read. It wow. was so simple, easy to understand. Of course, I wasn't at Radio Shack for long. Yeah. <laughs> My next job was at a publishing company. And within four years of getting a job... At the in the warehouse of this publishing company, I was president of the publishing company. <laughs> I credit Ken Blanchard <laughs> doing and that. Roger at Radio Shack yeah. with that kind of success. I get yeah. to do what I'm doing now. So for me to go down to San Diego and spend some time with Ken was humbling. I love Ken Blanchard. One of the things I love is is he writes business books in parables. Yeah, right. He like he just tells story. And what's interesting in poetics, Aristotle, mm. like going back, we talk all the time about how the formula of story brand is thousands of years old. Yeah. In poetics, Aristotle actually says that poetry and song and any kind of storytelling is actually just a reflection of life. Mm -hmm. And the reason that we have to tell it through that way is because we reflect life back to people to show them how to live, mm -hmm. a better way to live. The most effective way of teaching people how to live and change patterns is through story. And Aristotle said this all the way back in poetics. Yeah. And this is what Blanchard does with a business book. He yes. doesn't just like say, oh, here's how to do business. He tells it in a story which is why I love reading his business books. Yeah, there's something about the use of story that kind of hijacks our brains, cleans yeah. out the clutter, 
guides us. Uh, Robert McKee would call it a moral compass. And here's what's interesting. I found out. I don't yeah. remember if it's in the interview or not. But when Ken and his friend sat down to work out, you know, what's called situational leadership, which yeah. is taught in every business school in the world yeah. now, they wanted to write a book that managers would read and understand. Yeah. And so they went to a children's writer. Yes. Yeah, that, that is in the interview. That is in the interview. Yeah. It's so cool. We all think that we need to sound smart and impressive. Yeah. <laughs> and But Ken went, no, we need people to understand what we're doing. It's not yep. about us sounding smart. It's about people understanding the process. You know, revolutionary stuff back then, and that book has now sold, the One Minute Manager has sold 13 million copies. Dang. He's got 300 employees. They have mm-hmm. a wonderful coaching business and consulting business, and you can go through his situational leadership training if you go to KenBlanchard.com. By the way, he didn't ask me to do that. <laughs> it's just fantastic stuff. And, you know, it's just an honor to sit down with one of my heroes. So great. Well, I'm excited about this interview, so let's just get to it. Here is Ken Blanchard on the Building a Story Brand podcast. Ken, thanks for taking time. This is a, an honor. I um, probably, man, it's got to be 25 years ago now. I lived in Texas, got in a Volkswagen camping van with a buddy, crossed the country, ran out of money in Portland, Oregon, <laughs> loved the city so much, decided to stay there, didn't have a car because we had to sell the van, and got a job at a Radio Shack. And uh, it was a fun job. I mean, as, as geeky as it sounds. And the manager at the Radio Shack, uh, handed me a book and said, Don, I just want you to know this is how I'm going to lead you. And the book was One Minute Manager. Wow. And that was my introduction to you. And I thought, this guy's the smartest guy in the world. And Good. that was probably my introduction to even professional situations. And, and you know, now I run a company and all this. And I think it started right there and learning how to lead and how to be led and how teams work. You've been thinking about this stuff for a long time. Yes, you know, I've been trying to uh, see if we can make common sense common practice, you know, and not get it so complicated. You know, I mean, I got a, a PhD and studied, you know, organizational behavior and leadership and all. And a lot of times they wanted to make everything complicated. Yeah. And all. That's why we write short books and concentrate on three or four. I call them airplane things. reads. That's yeah, right. Yeah. Start and finish it on an airplane. Yeah, because I never was a great reader, so I can't prove a really long book. When I read your books, they're so easy to understand and so simple to apply that they actually affect change. Yeah. Why do we need to communicate so simply? Because, you know, StoryBrand, we, we interact with all these companies on a marketing level who are communicating in such complex ways that they can't engage their customers. And so we teach simplicity. But it's also true in leadership. Yeah. When we look at, you know, we consulted with Jeb Bush's team on this last election, the primary that he he dropped out of, about two months before South Carolina. So I think he came to us a little too late. Jeb Bush communicates at an eighth grade level. Donald Trump communicates at a fourth grade level. Yeah. And when you think about substance, Jeb Bush is a lot more substance, probably people would argue, than Donald Trump. And yet Donald Trump is still in the race. Mm-hmm. I think people are drawn to... Things that they can understand. Yeah. And what warning or advice do you have for leaders who want to walk into the room and unload on everybody too much information? Why does a leader need to keep it simple? Well, because you just said so people will understand it and know what to do, you know. Do we misjudge the capabilities of our teams, not their intellectual capability, but the fact that they're juggling so much information we're not getting through to them. Yes, and I think if we just add more complexity to their lives, 
then they don't know where to go. But, I mean, the power of the one-minute manager, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, we met Spencer Johnson at a cocktail party when we came out on a sabbatical leave from yeah. University of Massachusetts. He was a children's book writer. He wrote this wonderful <laughs> series called Value Tales, you know, the value of a sense of humor, the story of Will Rogers, the value of curiosity, the story of Christopher Columbus, and, mm. and this. And so Margie met him and first. You, but you, this is groundbreaking because we, we all know we can walk through a, a Barnes & Noble or a bookstore or, or shop on Amazon and we see business book after business book that is essentially an airplane read, very short, to the point, full of content. This was not the case when you first started writing. You were the sort of pioneer finding a children's book writer to communicate at that level. And I think there's an element of genius to that. Yes, it's a, you know, uh, my father always said, keep your head up, Ken, because opportunities will come towards you that you hadn't thought of. But if you've got your head down and you're grinding, he said you're going to miss opportunities. So Mm. when Margie brought Spencer over, she said, you ought to write a children's book for managers. They won't read anything else. And <laughs> and he was working on a one-minute scolding with a psychiatrist. And mm-hmm. I invited him to a seminar I was doing. And he laughed and he came running up at the end and said, forget parenting. Let's do the one-minute manager. And wow. since he was a children's book writer and I'm a storyteller, we decided to write a parable, you know, yeah, because yeah. our favorite books were Jonathan Livingston Seagull and the, and the Littlest Prince, you know, yes. and, uh, you know, Augmentino's and, you know, books and stuff like that. And so we started the, the first week in November. We had a draft by the time we went to the Rose Bowl in the end of December because mm. it was a story because we said, you know, wow, what are the, what are the key secrets? Well, first people got to know. Where you want them to go? What do you want them to accomplish? So one minute goal setting, all good performance <laughs> starts with clear goals. Duh. Yeah. You know, and once people know the goals, you're not to sit in your office. You ought to wander around and see if you can catch them doing anything right and cheer them on because people love to get affirmed and cheered mm-hmm. on and all that. Particularly in the beginning, you know, yeah, when they're they need that started. And then if they step out of line, uh, Spencer was working on this one-minute reprimand. It sounds a little bit punitive, but the concept was you tell a person, I, I noticed, you know, you said you were going to have this report in on, on Monday morning, and it's Tuesday, and I haven't received it yet. Uh, let me tell you how I feel. I'm I'm really disappointed. You know, I kind of counted on you. You know, the reason I'm upset is you're better than that. So it ends with a reaffirmation, which yeah. was really yeah. interesting. Because if you couldn't reaffirm the person, then you shouldn't reprimand them. You should be redirecting them, which right. sort of says, you know, maybe I didn't make it clear on this. Here's here's what I need and all that kind of thing. But it's interesting. Uh, we just rewrote the One Minute Manager the first time in well over 30 years because we uh, didn't have an e-book. And they said, you might want to, read it just to see if we want any changes. And when we read it, now we started to laugh because the guy's on his intercom system. I mean, how many oh, yeah. people have an intercom? <laughs> and it's kind of a top-down yeah. thing. And today, leadership is much more side-by-side. Mm-hmm. And all. And so we changed the one-minute reprimand to one-minute redirects, which is much more which consistent. Is, yeah. and, and it's, it's not as, uh, language yeah. isn't as harsh. But those three things, you know, we have said, does it take more than a minute to be an effective manager, sure, but it doesn't take you more than a minute to check with somebody if they understand what a goal is. It doesn't take more than a minute to praise somebody's progress and and give them an attaboy or an girl. It doesn't take more than a minute to stop them and say, gee, I noticed uh, that your performance not going the direction we talked about. How could I help? 
you know, and redirect them. Let's apply this for our listeners. There are thousands of people listening to this podcast. Probably most of them run sub $5 million companies, probably mm -hmm. 75% of them, 25% are going to be in the multi-million and billion dollar companies. So a lot of us are entrepreneurs. We've got an idea. We want to get this thing going. We want to unify and mobilize our team. Walk me through the steps of how to get my team around this idea and moving forward. Is the first thing I need to do, call a meeting and introduce the vision? Yeah, the first thing is that, you know, all leadership is about going somewhere. So, you know, you got to really be clear with people where you want them to go. Now, uh, I This is fascinating to me because yeah. I actually spoke in front of a bunch of people when, when the Bush team called and about 20,000 people in different settings because I was sort of testing yeah. material to go in to talk to Jeb. And I said, what does Donald Trump want to do with America? And everybody knew, make America great again. Then I'd say, what does Jeb Bush want to do with America? And nobody, yeah. not a single person out of those 20,000 people knew. That's, That's right. a problem. That's not clear leadership probably, right? Well, yeah, it's absolutely true. I wrote a book on, on the whole visioning mm -hmm. thing. And then I wrote a paper and I tried to get Obama and Romney and other people called the leadership vision for America. Because we don't have a vision for our country anymore. No. We don't know what business we're in. We don't know what we're trying to accomplish. And we don't know what the values that should drive our behavior, much less what the goals are. See, and when what happens is if nobody knows what the vision and direction and goals are, then they have nothing to serve but themselves. See, that's why we have a self-serving government yes. right now. Yes. You know, and uh, so, for example, take Walt Disney. You know, he, he got this even before anybody else did, you know, what business is he in? He said, we're in the happiness business. He didn't have a 10, you know, sentence emission statement. You know, I was working with a group a while back and I asked them if they had a mission statement or whatever. And they said they did and they sent it to me. So when I got in front of the president, everybody said, thanks for sending me your mission statement. I've slept so much better since I got it, you know, because I put it next to my bed. And if I couldn't sleep at night, I would read your mission statement, <laughs> put me back to sleep because it was really complicated. And this was a right. bank. And I said, I think that, that what you ought to be doing is, is that you're in the financial security business or uh, helping people, you know, maintain their, their finance. Some simple thing, you know. Yeah. And, and uh, also it's a filter. So all of Disney's employees would know in any given moment when they're interacting with a customer or something, they would know what business they're in. They would yeah. know, make these people happy. Sure. That's the business. And word. the picture of the future he had is that every guest leaving the park would have the same smile on their face leaving the park mm. as when they entered six, eight, 10, 12 hours. So yeah. if we're in the happiest business, we want to keep them smiling. So then they have four values everybody knows. Number one, safety, because Walt said if people get carried out of here in our stretcher, they're not going to have the same smile on their face leaving the park as when they right. entered. And then the second value is really service, which is how do we take care of your needs and all that. The third value is the show, which is you're either on stage or off stage. If you're on stage, you're playing Mickey Mouse or Ticket Taker, and they have a description about what that job's all about. And then the last value, interesting, is is efficiency, running a profitable, well-run organization. Well, why is that number four? Well, it's four because you don't want somebody trying to save money uh, by at the compromise uh, of, of safety, of safety, and, safety you know, and, you know. and all that kind of thing. And so, uh, and then you can put, you know, goals, you know, that, but so often we, we don't. And uh, it's interesting, I sent my paper to Warren Bennis, who was one of my gurus, you know, and one of the great guys in leadership. And he said, Ken, you got to read a book. He said, because you're so right, we don't have a vision for our country anymore. And the book was A Miracle at Philadelphia. 
And he said, the reason I want you to read it, because here you had all these egomaniacs, you know, Benjamin Franklin, John Adams, John Quincy Adams, George Washington and all, but they had a vision for the country. They wanted those 13 states to be united and all that. So because they had a vision, they took their egos and pushed them aside right. to something work together for something. And that's what we need to to uh, do. And that's that's a big problem. That's the leadership part of servant leadership. And then once that is, now you can turn the pyramid upside down and everybody's serving everybody who eventually is serving the customers and the vision. Right. So implementing the vision, first of all, the leader needs to have a vision, right? right. Mm -hmm. How do you go from, um, a lot of leaders listening probably can't articulate their own vision for their company, where they're going, which means, you know, I study story for a living. If we don't know what the hero needs to accomplish, you're losing the audience. Yes. You've got to know within about nine minutes of that movie starting what this hero needs to do to save the day, or you're going to lose the audience. And I think it's true with leadership too. So the first thing it sounds like we need to be able to articulate our vision. What are the processes or, or techniques to take that articulated vision and get buy-in from our team? Well, what I always say is that the initial draft of a vision and a set of goals ought to come from the top of the hierarchy. But then rather than sort of laying it on people, say, here's our first draft, what I'd like to do is set up focus groups around the organization and say, how do you feel about this? What's missing is there anything you want to wordsmith and all and get their feedback? So you get ownership from get, them. Yes. And, and then it. you take that and then you go to them and say, okay, here's a second draft based on your feedback. How is this? You know, to get to the point that they say, boy, I'm ready to go on that. But so many people don't want to take that time. See, yeah. they, they want to come up with something and then just jamming on everybody. If people weren't involved in developing the, the vision, you know, because people get hired after it was, that's why, you know, Disney does a great orientation program, mm-hmm. you know, for their new employees. Mm-hmm. And what's the whole orientation program around learning their vision and their values right. and all that kind of thing. So everybody knows what it is coming out of orientation. Because what should orientation be? Say, this is the business we're in. This is what we're trying to accomplish. This is the values that drive our behavior. Here's what your goal is in your particular position. Yeah. It seems like it's 90% of what it means to be the leader is to to stand up and remind people over and over what the story is. That's right. And this what, is where we're heading. Yeah, this is, this is what, where, what, These are our challenges. This is, is your role. What is the story that we want people to... To have, you know, yeah. I mean, it's and just to, to live into. Then people really get excited, you know, and uh, it's interesting about the story. Margie, my wife, heads up the office of the future, you know, because mm-hmm. I came to the a belief that what you have to do in an organization is manage the present and create the future at the same time. Right. I think organizations make a mistake when they get down the line and they send present time responsibility people away to plan the future. Because mm. very often they'll kill the future because they're either overwhelmed with the present or have vested interests once they get into it. But you've got to refurbish your organization. So Margie stepped down as president. She heads the Office of the Future. And she has people who are studying what's happening in technology, what's happening in leadership training and all. So when 9-11 happened, a lot of our competitors – some of them went out of business because they were used to face-to-face training. But we knew all about the internet mm-hmm. and all kinds of other things that other people didn't know. So that what you want to say is you can refurbish your story. Yeah. You know, because, you know, the reason Kodak went out of business is that they didn't want to change their story. 
Yeah. You know? And, and they had a good thing going. Oh, they yeah. thought it was going to keep going. They had a wonderful story. So it sounds know? like, first of all, as a leader, we've got to write down our vision. We have to be able to articulate it. Then we have to get buy-in and ownership by sharing that vision right. and co-creating it mm-hmm. with yeah. our team. Yeah. And then understand that this is a living organization, and that vision may shift and change. Yes, is that's that right? right. That's right. And uh, so that you want to constantly be refreshing and sometimes you need some people who aren't emotionally involved in the present story yeah. to say maybe this ought to be the new story you know how important is it for the leader to continue to repeat and articulate the vision because i i would think it would be the leader's going to say it once and then they feel like they did their job yeah i've worked on projects before that i've yeah. led and because i didn't continue to articulate the vision we lost the vision yeah, well, I had lunch one time with Max Dupree, who was the legendary chairman of Herman Miller. He wrote a wonderful you know, book about organizations and culture and all that kind of thing. And I said, what's your job as chairman of this great company? He said, Ken, I have to be like a third grade teacher. I said, what do you mean? He said, I have to say the vision and values over mm. and over and over again till people get it right, right, right. And that discussion really stimulated and motivated me I changed my title from chairman, which I didn't particularly like, to kind of chief spiritual officer. Yeah, I noticed that. And and I got that because Margie's Office of the Future went out and studied what is it to create a spirit in the workplace, found three things. One is if your company has a mission that includes something bigger than you, like they love to work for – a Ben and Jerry's because they give a lot of money away. Right. Same way with Chick-fil-A, mm-hmm. you know, and all these kind of things. Second is they have a set of operating values, you know, that everybody, you know, buys into, which is not just on the wall, you know. And the third is that they have some spiritual aspect of the thing, something. There's some sort of philosophical yeah, cosmos connection yeah, to not the religion, but you know, overall good versus good, evil yeah. narrative of humanity. And so I, I just like that. So I said, I'm going to be the chief spiritual officer. And so I what I it. do is I leave a morning message for everybody in our company every day. And I've been doing it for 15 years. Wow. How, does, you, people, how do you do it on the say, internet or how do you do that? I, I, I do it on the voicemail and then somebody transcribes it and they can send it out to wow. people and all. But the reason I started doing it is that Max said you got to be like a third grade teacher. So I do three things. Uh, first thing I do, like today, I had a whole uh, message about uh, sending out love and prayers and all to the people who yeah. were one woman who lost her fabulous mother and another one of our top people has got a cancer thing and she's going in for an mm-hmm. operation and another, you know, and so... Uh, and we have every faith and non-faith, and nobody minds that I say we need to send our love and our prayers and sure, our yeah. government. Then I praise people. People will tell me who are unsung heroes or things like that. And then I leave an inspirational message on something that has to do with you know our company and what we believe and all that I've read or heard. So like I got a letter from a guy I met in the airport. We took our family on a big safari a while back uh, in Africa, and I met this guy in Kenya in the airport, and I sent him some books. He was from New Zealand, and he wrote back, and he said, Ken, thanks so much. And he said, you know, I think the business that you're in is I think you're into teaching people the power of love rather than love of power. Mm-hmm. And I went, whoa, now there's there's a story, see, you yeah. know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you can go to any of the books, you know, after I wrote The One Minute Manager, uh, except, you know, we've done a 
leading at a higher level kind of summarizes a lot of stuff that we've been doing. But the rest are all parables. And, you know, what was the one-minute manager? It was a young man searching for an effective manager. Mm -hmm. He wanted to work for one. So on the first page, it says what the what the guy's looking for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so what happened at the, the end, the story. in the end, of course, he found that manager. And, of course, at the end, he said, and isn't it interesting? Eventually, he became a one-minute manager, yeah. and he gets a call uh, from his secretary. Said, "There's a young woman here that wants to learn about management from you." You know, I mean, yeah. you know, and so, I mean, we always make sure right in the beginning of the story that we know what what the issue is. I'm really having fun now working with this uh, wonderful gal, Claire. Uh, Claire Ortiz, yeah, the, good friend. Yes. She's been on the podcast, and uh, you know, because she came to me. And said that mentors in the past have always been older than you. And I think us younger folks need mentors that can help us in wisdom. But I think you older people need younger people that mentor you, especially in, on technology and all. And so Claire's 33 now, and I'm 77. And we're writing a book on cross-generational mentoring. That's wonderful. You know, which is, uh, mm -hmm. and she's just amazing. She's fantastic. Person. Well, let me ask you this as a final question. There, there's a problem that I think a lot of leaders have, and I've had it, and it's the best possible problem to have. What do you do when you reach your goals? What do you do when your team succeeds and you've got to get everybody mobilized again? Pete Carroll is a friend with the Seahawks, and I know how hard it was after they won the Super Bowl to mobilize that team and give them a new vision to accomplish the thing they'd already accomplished. Yes. And a lot of times, even in our personal lives, when we accomplish a great goal, we're tempted to go into a depression because we don't have that drive and focus that we used to have. How do you restart and reboot a successful team to keep going? And I asked this question because you said something earlier when we were talking before we started the podcast recording here. You said that education, as you talked about the journey of getting your PhD, was an endurance sport. Yes. And when you said that, I thought, boy, business is an endurance sport too. Yes. That the longer you just keep moving in that same direction and keep plowing your field, the, the higher likely you are to be successful. Yes. How do you keep a team going and going and going? Well, you know, one of the things I think that we don't take enough time is alone time. You know, I hmm. read Scott, who was a, quite an entrepreneur here, because Marge and I really stayed in San Diego because we ran into a group called the Young Presidents Organization, YPO, and they or people had to become president before they're 40 years old and have mm -hmm. at least 50 people working for them and, and all. And, and Red said that he is really clear that he has to spend at least twice a year going off by himself for two or three days and just thinking about, okay, where are we now? Where do we want to go? And get some quiet time and all. Because I think we get so into doing that we don't have time to decide what we next want to being, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And uh, Marge and I have always had a wonderful thing. Her mom and dad bought 300 feet of lake frontage on one of the Finger Lakes, Skinny Atlas in upstate New York for $300 in 1946. <laughs> and Margie's been going there since 1946. And Marge and I were, you know, we kind of were maze bright. Is when I was a college professor, I thought it was so stupid to teach a course in the summer just to make a little extra money, let's go to the lake. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, we're taking off now on the 28th of June, and we'll be back, you know, about the 10th of September. And I do writing there and all that kind of thing. But we stop the train and get off, and so we'll have a meeting with the company. And they, you know, when we were more actively involved, they would be saying goodbye. 
uh, to us, and then we'd have a meeting come come back. I mean, we would stay in communication, but we took that time to get off the train, and I think it kept us re-energized yeah. Yeah. in terms of gives where, you a new to, vision. Yeah, because I think that if you get caught in the rat race of of business. I love Lily Talmadge. She said, the problem with a rat race, even if you win it, you're still a rat, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I think that you have to, you know, have some time to think and, and walk and, and and all where it's not just 10 minutes, but uh, say, you know, where are we now? Where do we want to go? And then you could even invite some, which we do periodically, invite some of the leaders to come up to the lake and yeah. over the years and sort of think things through. Well, it sounds like full circle there. There's the need to articulate the vision. First of all, have the vision and articulate it and then get buy-in from your team by sharing ownership of that vision and editing it and then reminding over and over like a third-grade teacher what that vision is, where the story is going. And then when we accomplish that goal, get away, Mm -hmm. reset your mind, come up with a new vision and start over. Is that a a fair circle? Yeah, I think so. You know, the whole concept of revisioning is important, you know, that – you don't want to get in a rut where you somehow forget that things out there are really changing. Mm. Like we have our national convention every year, and Margie's uh, and and anybody who works with the office of the future, they walk the convention, but they go to the small booths mm. because that's where the innovative new ideas are yeah. to find out what's happening. And you know, time flies, and all of a sudden, you know, people are doing stuff that uh, it can put you out of business. That's <laughs> true. It's true. Ken, this has been an unbelievable honor. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it feels like a good journey for me to sitting in the back room of a Radio Shack reading uh, One Minute Manager to sitting here in, in your office. It, it really is wonderful. And you've influenced so many lives. Thank you so much. Great. Good. If you've been listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast for a while, you're probably wondering what's next. You've probably sat around thinking, you know, I've got to bring my marketing into this next evolution. I've got to clean up the clutter and see a better response from customers. If you want to get started for free, just go to 5minutemarketingmakeover.com. You can either spell it out or use the number. It doesn't matter. 5minutemarketingmakeover.com. I will give you three five-minute videos that if you just execute what I say in those videos, you will definitely see results. It is the best place to start. 5minutemarketingmakeover.com This is the segment of the Building a Story Brand podcast called How They Do It, where we interview a story brand alumni to talk about how they achieved phenomenal success after they went through the process. JJ, Alan yes. at Reed's Dairy, <laughs> you've worked with Alan quite a bit. Yeah. He did the online course, yep. and then he came to... To Nashville, to the live workshop here in Nashville. That's right. I mean, explain his business, because it's, it's like from the 50s. Well, he's a dairy farmer. I mean, just tried and true dairy farmer, and he sells multiple products, cheese, ice cream, milk, and he actually does the door-to-door Like the delivery. milkman outfit yeah, yeah. in the truck. <laughs> yep. <laughs> just... Yes. So all of my favorite things in one farm in Idaho... And I can't believe I haven't gone yet. <laughs> I know. We and, and even before he came to Storyman, we found out about him. We found out I think he was an online course yep. user. And we were just like, this is the coolest thing ever. So we yep. called him. And he sends us ice cream. Yes. No, we ordered ice cream. Oh, yeah, from yeah, yeah, yeah. Him. Yep. Yeah. We but, ordered ice cream. And then it was so successful for him. He flew down to Nashville to do it again yeah. live and brought ice cream for every yes. participant. <laughs> that is my kind. When you bring treats, yes. to us, that's <laughs> anytime kind. meeting that you bring treats, you have my heart. 
Anyway, Alan's going to talk a little bit about how he did it. JJ, you made this call and recorded it yeah. with Alan, and he's a wonderful guy. I would just love the people who come through our shop. It's yeah. amazing. Let's listen to this. Let's listen to your conversation with Alan and see how he did it. And the, the success was phenomenal. He'll get into it. It's not even quadruple. It's like, yeah, it's like stupid. 20 times it's crazy. the business. When he just did one thing different, you're going to find out what that is in this interview. Hello. Hey, Alan. It's JJ from StoryBrand. How are you? Hi, JJ. I'm great. How are you doing? I am doing awesome. Alan, I just have to tell you that you make the most amazing ice cream I have ever had. <laughs> well, thank you. That's nice. So tell our audience a little bit about what you do. I have a dairy business here in southeastern Idaho. We actually milk the cows and then produce the milk and process it. So we run it through our processing plant. We, we bottle milk for the consumer. We make ice cream and we also make cheese. Most of our sales is directly to the consumer. And a large part of that is delivered door to door with oh, wow. kind of old style milk delivery. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, I love that. You basically said three of my favorite things in the world, milk, cheese, ice cream. This is <laughs> this is one of the reasons why they're letting me do this interview because I'm a little obsessed. So you've had this business for a long time and obviously been successful, but something changed kind of in how things worked. And tell me a little bit about that of what drew you in to come to StoryBrand to begin with. Well, I've I've done a lot of direct mail advertising, email advertising, and also flyer advertising to our customers. And I would get really good conversion rates, 8, 9, 10, sometimes even in a 15% conversion rate on my direct mail material and, and in the emails that I send out. And over the last five years, I noticed that the conversion rate just kept decreasing and I kept working on it and changing copy and testing and I just was getting less and less of a result from the things that we put out there. Yeah. And so that's what struck me about StoryBrand when I first heard about the way you folks teach to write ad copy. And I just, I knew I had to do something to bring my conversion rates back up. And so that's when I started StoryBrand online. Nice. So you went through the StoryBrand process online. And what were some of the immediate changes you did? How did you change your writing? Well, I'd always written copy about, you know, tell the customer who we are and why we're so good and, and what the offer is and why they should buy. And that had worked for me in the past, but like I say it just decreased. And so when I learned about story brand and making the customer, you know, the hero in all of this and bringing to them what their problems are yeah. and then showing them how we can guide them to success. It was very difficult for me to write that way. It was just so different than what I'd been doing, although it really worked. And even the first time I used it, shortly after I started the online training, I was just really blatant about, we want you to be the hero and we're going to guide you if you buy this (laughs) and you're going to be the hero of your family. And and that the conversion was amazing. Really? Um, What happened after you changed that copy? Well, typically every year we do an offer where we, in a short sense, we pre-sell milk. And so they can buy a little coupon book that has 40 gallons of milk in it, and they buy that ahead. And we've, we've offered that every year, and, and we've given the same offer, a discount at the money that it costs, and, and a couple of bonuses if they buy. And typically I've sold around two to $3,000 worth of, worth of those coupon books. 
This time, when I put that out, written in a story brand format, we actually, in that one day, sold $55,000 worth of coupon books. <laughs> that is amazing. Oh well, God. it was. It, it caught us by such a surprise. I had my whole family and staff sitting around the table putting together more of these books because they just were blowing out of our oh place. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I and what was that. interesting is the people, when they would come in, they would say things like, boy, I really understood why this would help me, or that really you know, caught my interest, or oh, uh, you really helped me understand these. It, the, the comments helped me understand, realize that they really did read, yeah. and it struck a note with them. Yeah, and that's so counterintuitive for everybody to say, okay, I'm not going to talk about how great we are, but I'm going to talk about how great, really, the customer's journey is, and how to help mm -hmm. them. So if you were going to tell other people, other customers, if you were going to give them one tip, what tip would that be? Well, my tip would be spend the time and the effort that it takes to write the copy the way StoryBrand tells us to. And like you, you, they will see a difference in what they sell. So final question for you, Alan, before we head off. I know that you name all of your cows. Can you tell me who are your two favorite cows? <laughs> well, my two favorite are, are, are one is Cowie, and she's kind of become our mascot. Cowie? <laughs> I love that. Cowie, yeah. Yeah, what originality we have here. <laughs> and uh, and the other one, uh, uh, my uh, grandson named and it's, uh, Annabelle. So those, uh, are, those are our, Cowie our two Cowie and Annabelle. Well, I mm -hmm. cannot wait to meet them. I want to come out there and get ice cream from your shop directly and meet Cowie and Annabelle. And for our listeners, if you want to check out Reed's Dairy, you can go to reedsicecream.com. I know, Alan, that you came to the story brand in Nashville to be reworking your website, so that's going to be changing. But for now, if people want to check it out, they can go to reedsicecream.com. Alan, thank you so much. We want to wish you a ton of luck in the future as you keep moving forward. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. JJ, that was a terrific interview. Alan, he's obviously a great guy. Can we order more ice cream today? <laughs> I think we should. And we should all go see Cowie and Annabelle, too. Yeah. <laughs> Get to know him a little bit. Alan had a lot going on. Yeah. Uh, he basically, though, he, you know, he hasn't changed his website yet. Mm -hmm. I think he's going to. Yep. And so if you go to his website, you'll see the before, and hopefully he'll change it soon and see even more success. But apparently he's got this annual thing. He sends out a, a yep. mailer. He just changed the copy. And to me... The big paradigm shift that all of us can take away, everybody listening, is the old story brand paradigm shift. And it's just, you got to treat the customer like the hero. Stop talking yeah. so much about yourself. Start talking about them. Yeah. And if you can do that with somebody who's ordering ice cream, I mean, you can really <laughs> do that with anything. It's Door-to-door -door milk delivery. Yeah. How, how are they heroic? Yeah, right. right. He figured it out. And, and it is hard work. It is hard work to sit down and say, okay, I got to stop thinking about myself. I got to start thinking about the customer, their journey, what they're... Yep. We don't tend to do that intuitively. Alan's right. But the results, $2,000 yeah. to 50, what, what do you say, 54? 54, yeah. $54,000, that is... And he just practiced. He really did. He started with basically, I'm just going to do what I know, and I'm going to practice, and I'm going to get better at this. Well, JJ, as you know, anybody can get a lot more free tips from us on how to improve their website, how to improve their copy, how to talk to their customers. It's all at 5minutemarketingmakeover.com. Just go to 5minutemarketingmakeover.com. I've got three five-minute videos that are really going to help you refine your marketing and get a better response. You can also text the word MAKEOVER, that's MAKEOVER, to 72,000. Just 
type makeover and send it to 72000 and I will send you those three five-minute videos. It's all free. Well, this has been another great episode of the Building a Story Brand podcast. JJ Peterson and I wishing you another wonderful week and great growth in your business. Music from this episode is from the album Black Bear by Andrew Bell. As always, our aim with this podcast is to help you stand out in a sea of noise by getting crystal clear with your messaging. On behalf of the entire StoryBrand team, thanks for listening.